in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Hello all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. Today, I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me is your co-host, and sorry, my co-host and your good friend, Chad Robinson. Chad, how are you, sir? I can be their co-host, too. I'm wonderful tonight. Well, I'm glad you're doing wonderful, but you're going to be even more wonderful here in just a second because we're about to kick the show into international mode. I need a Keanu Reeves whoa. That's right. We're going across the pond, across continents to India today. And today we're going to be talking to Madura Karche. Yeah. All right. So, Madura, tell the people at home, what is it you do for a living? And Okay, so Russell and I used to work together. Um, I'm originally from Mumbai, India, but I worked in Pittsburgh after doing a five-year bachelor's degree in architecture at Carnegie Mellon. And this August, I will be starting grad school at Cornell at their Baker program in real estate. So I'm really excited about that. So Carnegie Mellon and Cornell bringing some brains to the podcast. We like it. So, Madura, you grew up in India, uh, so you did not come to America until it was time for you to get into your studies. And so I had a question for you. Did you grow up seeing American movies? Yeah, I mean, we we do get a lot of Hollywood movies in theaters. I didn't watch a lot of them growing up because, I don't know, maybe just my parents weren't into them or something, but a lot of the movies I saw growing up were all Hindi movies. I did see a few here and there, but it was like hard to understand them a lot of the time. So a lot of the classics that you guys probably saw growing up, I saw them in college which was exciting for people around me because they loved introducing me to these movies. Um, But yeah, I'm still catching up. It's it's interesting. uh, When Mandara first came to the office, we discovered pretty quickly that American cinema was kind of a new thing for her. And so everybody in the office contributed to a kind of a communal Excel file and everybody made their own recommendation. I probably should have come armed with it, but it's also kind of long, so I don't have time to read through it all. But uh, also it will probably take you 20 years to make it through all of those movies anyway. But I'm still uh, working on it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and by the way, uh, I think my contribution of American cinema was – Jaws, I think, was what I said uh, should be watched. <laughs> Agreed. That one yet. Yeah, it was the original blockbuster. Today we're going to do a blockbuster ourselves, but first, what was the first American movie you actually saw? Um, so I think it was Spy Kids 3D. Um, this Ooh. wasn't a movie that I personally wanted to watch. I hadn't even seen the first two. But I have an older brother who was always interested in, you know, like watching all of those like action movies. And this was, I think, 2003. So he was probably like 12 and I was nine. 
So I think my parents were like, oh, it's a 3D movie, should be good for the kids. So then we went to the theater and we watched and I probably fell asleep through most of it. But I remember that being probably like my first English movie that I ever saw. Spy Kids 3D. Yeah, I don't remember any of it. <laughs> I also know for a fact you will find few people who love animals as much as Madura, particularly dogs. Yeah, I mean, that's probably an understatement. I, I could die for a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your favorite on-screen animal? doesn't have to be a dog, but I have a feeling it will be. But uh, what is your favorite on-screen animal? See, that's a hard question. Can I name like four? Uh, it doesn't stop my uh, co-host Brian sometimes. <laughs> so I have to say Airbud because you know I love golden retrievers and I have one myself. Or Marley from Marley and Me, or Aslan from The Chronicles of Narnia because he's so majestic, or the wolf from the movie Alpha that I watched recently. Sounds like that one's the only one that's not golden. Yeah, true. <laughs> but he is very soft. Or I imagine him to be very soft. As you mentioned. You being an architect with your architectural background as you watch movies, what building or space have you seen in a movie that you wish would be a real place and that you could visit? So I would have to say, I mean, I know there's a lot of cool places. Like I'm thinking all of those scenes from Inception. But if I had to pick one that I would like to visit, it would have to be Hogwarts. Oh, that's a great choice. I love it. Mm -hmm. So what movie are we going to do today, Chad? We are going to do 1982's E.T., The Extraterrestrial. I like that you put the uh, colon, The Extraterrestrial, on there. Nobody ever does that, but uh, you did that. I like that detail. Google trained me. Every time I put E.T., I was getting weird results. Yeah, more, not enough movies have colons in them. <laughs> Spy Kids, <laughs> colon, 3D. <laughs> So E.T. comes out in 1982, as Chad mentioned. It's made for a budget of $10.5 and that's actually not that much money. We'll talk about that here in a second, but it goes on to gross $359 million. So it uh, turned quite a profit. It was number one in the box office that year, and the movie that places behind it in 1982 is Tootsie with Dustin Hoffman. IMDb gives E.T. the extraterrestrial 7.9. And the Rotten Tomato critics really love it. They give it a 98%. I don't think I've seen one that fresh from the uh, critics. And the audience score gives it a surprisingly lower uh, score of 72%. Still strong, but this is the movie with the longest ever theatrical run. It spent more than one year in the theaters. And it also came away with some Oscars. It was nominated for nine Oscars. It won four. Uh, best original score from John Williams, best sound editing, best sound, and best visual effects. It also was nominated for best picture, best director, screenplay, cinematography, and best editing. And it lost all of those to the movie Gandhi. Uh, the Golden Globes also gave it some uh, wins. It Gave it four wins, including Best Picture in a Drama Category. Uh, again, John Williams coming away with Best Score. It was nominated for three others for Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Male Star for Henry Thomas. And it gets some legacy awards from the AFI. It's ranked 24th on the greatest films of all time, the 100 greatest movies. It's ranked 44th in the most heart-pounding movies. It's ranked number 6th in the most inspiring movies. as the 14th greatest music score and the third greatest science fiction out of the top 10 science fiction movies. And uh, E.T. Phone Home was ranked number 15 on the 100 greatest movie quotes. 
AFI certainly likes E.T. So, Madura, had you seen E.T. before this time? If so, what was your first take on it? Yeah, so I saw it two years ago. It was my last semester in college. Like I said, a lot of my friends would always freak out when I said that I hadn't seen all of these classic movies. So I remember I watched Lion King, Toy Story, E.T., and a lot of Disney movies. So yeah, I saw it two years ago. I really liked it, but funny story, when I watched it, I remember watching it and going, oh my God, this is just like that one Bollywood movie I watched when I was a kid. <laughs> so there's actually a Bollywood movie, which is literally the same plot, but with a little more drama and some music and a lot more romance. No way. Yeah, there is actually. I'll send you a link later, but... It, it was crazy because E.T. is a lot older than this movie that I had seen before. And I wish I had seen E.T. before I saw this movie because there are a lot, a lot of similarities. But they're both enjoyable movies, so no for the, complaints. For the listeners at home, do you by chance know the name of the movie? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that one is called Koi Milgya, and, uh, which literally translates to met someone. So... I guess they're talking about the boy and the alien, but they're also talking about the female lead in the um, in the movie. But yeah, they, they, there are interviews with the director, I think, uh, where people are like, is it inspired from E.T.? And he says that it's not. But the alien... <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, he claims that it was inspired by a movie concept that was introduced much before E.T. Uh, came out. But I haven't fact-checked at all. So I can't oh, is this uh, the one that was inspired by his last name's Ray? Uh, there was a big lawsuit over this. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, he, he was an Indian uh, producer, and he claimed that his last name was Ray. Before I move on, though, Madura. What was your take on it coming back to it this time? Does it still hold up? Yeah, um, I think it still holds up. I think I would have liked it a lot more as a kid, but I can still appreciate it as an adult. I think I think this is one of those movies that is one of those few old movies that I would make my kids watch in the future. So I think for the fact that it has been, what, 30, more than 30 years since it came out, and it's still a movie that people like to watch, I think it holds up. Uh, that's fair to say. Chad, what do you say? What's your background on this movie? Yeah, I, I did see it when I was little. Uh, it was one of the PG movies that my parents introduced me to. Uh, it came out a few years before I was born, but we definitely caught it on probably a, a Hollywood video, blockbuster video type deal. Uh, I enjoyed it when I was little. I didn't remember much past the Reese's pieces and the uh, the, uh, the iconic moon scenes. But uh, yeah, I, I did introduce my child. Uh, we watched we watched the movie together and uh, she had some interesting reactions. I'll, I'll touch on that a little more as we go through it. But uh, at the end, she was happy. She was she had enjoyed her time. That's great. And coming back to it this time felt good for you? Yeah. Yeah. There's, There were some interesting things, some things I wouldn't have caught when I was little. And then there were some of the effects didn't look as good as Majestic to me. But uh, yeah, this story is still really heartfelt. I love it. 
for me, I saw this movie like Chad when I was young. I want to say maybe four years old even. And so it's been a long, 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 long gap without seeing it. I kind of knew the references. It's in popular media all the time. But it wasn't until Mary and I were talking about greatest science fiction movies. And this one was ranked really high. And Mary did not particularly care for E.T. at the time. And she said that he was creepy and off-putting and that she and her, oh. that uh, she uh, that et frightened her little sister and she cried and didn't like him i said you gotta give this movie another chance because yeah, i don't see how you can not like et he's pretty he's pretty <laughs> lovable and so uh about three years ago we went back to do et and uh thank goodness thank goodness uh, a second uh pass on it went really well and mary got down with that and big smile on her face and uh somehow that that transformed view of it uh, made me love this movie even more so it's been fun to watch uh, her do a 180 on the movie so now she loves it along what chad was saying i accidentally picked up a 20th anniversary copy of the movie and a lot of people might not realize this but spielberg redid the movie much in the same way the star wars special edition movies did where they pretty much digitally reanimated et and substituted himself in all of the scenes and I was off put by this initially and um, luckily I got a two-pack and so my second time through the movie I got to watch it more how it was more theatrically cut the first time so I see some of the shortcomings that Chad are talking about but then I also saw what happens if you go back and fix those shortcomings and maybe I kind of have some mixed feelings on that issue so we'll get into that later as well but I loved it this time and I think I'll love it every time I come back to it. Uh, we're going to spoil the plot, though. And so if you have not seen E.T., the extraterrestrial from 1982, first of all, do yourself a huge favor and watch it. But second of all, then come back and listen to the rest of this episode. We'll be back after this. Greetings, Gotham. It is I, Bane, here to take your ears from the corrupt, away from the oppressors of generations who have kept you from hearing about the movies you love most. We give it to you, the people. None shall interfere. Listen as you please. The show is yours. Step forward. Those who would serve for an army of movie lovers will be raised. Start by storming the gates of iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, and give the show a rating and review. Like the show on Facebook, email at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Movies will be watched, insights will be shared, fun will be had, great movies will endure, the Retro Movie Roundtable will survive, this is the instrument of your liberation, Gotham, take back your podcasts. So we're back, and last warning, there will be spoilers. Madura, why don't you refresh everybody's memory in case they haven't seen E.T. since 1982. A group of alien creatures are seen exploring a forest in the dark of the night. They seem to be collecting plants when some government agents appear, scaring the creatures back into their spaceship. As they rush to flee from the scene, one alien gets left behind. Meanwhile, in a suburban neighborhood, a little boy about 10 years old is hanging out with his brother Michael and their friends, while his mom Mary puts dishes away in the kitchen. The older boys send Elliot off to pick up their pizza delivery. On his way back from the driveway, Elliot notices something unusual about the tool shed. He throws a ball in, and immediately, something, or rather someone, throws it right back at him. 
This startles Elliot, whose initial reaction is to run and tell everyone, everyone about the scary creature he saw. However, when his claims are met with disbelief and mockery, he resolves to prove the creature's existence and leaves Reese's pieces to lure the alien into his house. He succeeds. The alien is now in Elliot's room. The two seem curious about each other. The alien even imitates Elliot's actions. The next morning, Elliot plays sick to stay home from school. Later that evening, Elliot's siblings, Michael and Gert, meet the alien. The siblings swear to keep this a secret from their mother. They bring toys to play with it, and when asked of where it was from, the alien levitates Play-Doh balls in the air as if to show a planetary system. Before everyone falls asleep, the alien magically revives some dying flowers that Gertie had brought in to show her new friend. The next day, while Elliot is at school, the alien spends all day exploring at home. The family's pet dog, Harvey, who initially seemed hostile towards the alien, now seems to be getting along just fine with it as it digs through the refrigerator for snacks, some of which Harvey gets to enjoy. Elliot is in biology class, but he seems to be acting strange. Could he possibly be somehow connected with the alien? He starts acting intoxicated as the alien drinks beer while watching TV. Things in the classroom get crazier as Elliot starts yelling, I must save him, and freeing all the frogs that his teacher brought to class for an anatomy lesson. Maduro would so do that. <laughs> I would. As the alien watches a couple kiss romantically on TV at home, Elliot kisses a girl he likes at school and gets taken to the principal's office. Later at home, Gertie teaches the alien to speak English as she watches Sesame Street. Elliot names the alien E.T. after extraterrestrial. While looking through a comic, E.T. notices a comic strip in which a stranded hero calls for help with the use of a communicator, and he decides to build one for himself so he could phone home. Elliot helps E.T. build this communicator using parts from a speak-and-spell toy. During this whole struggle, Michael points out that E.T.'s health is declining, and Elliot keeps shutting him down by saying, We are fine. Cut to Halloween night. The kids dress E.T. as a ghost so they can sneak him out of the house. The plan is for Elliot and E.T. to go back to the forest where E.T. can make the call home. After a night out in the forest, Elliot wakes up in the same spot, but E.T. is nowhere to be found. He returns home alone and begs Michael to go find E.T. Michael rushes to the forest on his bicycle and finds E.T. dying. He brings him home to Elliot, whose health also seems to be deteriorating fast. When Mary discovers this, she tries to separate the kids from the alien. Just as she tries to leave the house with E.T. in it, many men wearing NASA spacesuits space invade the house, and government officials transform the house into a quarantine. As authorities question the siblings, Elliot and E.T.'s bond seems to disappear, with Elliot recovering fast as E.T. dies. Hours that E.T. had once revived seem to be dead again. However, as Elliot leaves the room, the flowers seem to start coming back to life. He quickly realizes what this means and rushes to go see E.T., who miraculously wakes up and exclaims, E.T., phone home! Elliot understands that E.T.'s people are returning to get him, and so with Michael's help, he steals a van to take E.T. to the forest. They later find themselves at a roadblock, 
while trying to evade the authorities on their bicycles. E.T. uses his special powers, as he had done before, to lift their bikes up in the air towards the forest. As E.T.'s as e. spaceship arrives, his heart glows in anticipation of returning home. Mary, Gertie, and the mysterious man with the keys also reach the landing site as the boys say goodbye to E.T. Gertie gifts E.T. the flowers that he revived, and he asks her to be good as she had once instructed him. A sad Elliot begs E.T. to stay. E.T. tells him, I'll be right here, pointing his glowing finger to Elliot's forehead. He finally takes the flowers and makes his way to the spaceship, which quickly takes off and zooms away into space, leaving a bright-colored rainbow behind as everyone watches in awe. Good, happy ending with a rainbow. Can't beat that. Yeah. E.T., I think the first thing that comes to my mind, like one word that goes, is magical. Chad... What is, for you, the magic of E.T.? I think just finding this alien friend. We'd all kind of had the sci-fi craze around the time we were young. So we had Star Wars, we had Close Encounters, we had E.T. And just finding this friendly alien to be your playmate, uh, there was something magical about that for me. It's Yeah, and I agree with much of that. And the idea that the alien is friendly is something that uh, I don't think uh, had been experimented with that often. Am I wrong in saying uh, normally when you think of a science fiction movie or an alien movie, uh, they're more of intruders or invaders? Is that uh, how many friendly aliens are out there? I mean, usually when an alien's friendly, it's in their setting. Like Yoda is in his setting or other friendly aliens are in their setting in space. But when they come to Earth, usually they're not friendly. Mandura, do you like the friendly alien? I do. I do. I, I do agree with you when you say that most sci-fi movies are very pessimistic when it comes to showing alien creatures. They're always a threat. Whereas you see these, this movie and this alien is extremely friendly. And at no point in the movie is he portrayed as a threat. But I think what makes the movie so magical is the relationship of the boy with that alien. Like in the beginning of the movie, you kind of see Elliot as kind of like an outcast when he's hanging out with Michael and his friends. And it almost seems like E.T. is like the friend that he never had. And that's why it's probably really hard for him to part ways with him towards the end of the movie. It's interesting that you say that because I didn't realize until you were saying this, but in a way, E.T. brings Elliot closer to his siblings. They kind of pick on each other, and Michael's too cool and too old for to spend time with him, and he's kind of tough on Gertie, and everybody just picks on everybody. But through E.T. coming there, they form this very close relationship, and he brings them together. Mm-hmm. How cool was he when he's playing Dungeons & Dragons in the opening shot? <laughs> Uh, I I don't know. I I think that's cool. So I, I've never learned to play Dungeons and Dragons, but apparently Steven Spielberg is a big fan of it. I It honestly looks like something I would get into. Yeah, Vin Diesel too. But it's another interesting thing. It's uh, We talked about magic, but E.T. has this magical quality to him. He makes stuff float tel- like with telekinetic powers and he uh, heals. Uh, I think one of the most magical scenes is uh, uh, when he touches Elliot's cut finger he takes the ouch away (laughs) so what magical things that et did made you smile the most madura 
definitely the ouch thing. I mean, after I saw this movie, I remember I would every time I had to call home, I would just I would just yell phone home until somebody told me to shut up. And I would also do the ouch thing. So I definitely got <laughs> carried away with that. But I think when he revives the flowers the first time and nobody sees it, that's pretty I don't I don't think that made me smile, but it did definitely make me go, ooh, so he has powers. Yeah. Chad, what about you? He made a telecommunication device from a speak and say and a saw blade. So and he he manages to change the digits so they read in some alien language. So that was pretty cool. All right, you like the MacGyver side of it. Yeah. Another thing that I somehow didn't remember and uh, when I would watch this when I was young that I totally forgot about. Isn't it interesting how uh, Elliot and E.T. share kind of a mental bridge between the two? Mm-hmm. Madura, did you like this part of the movie? I did. I did. I, I think that they could have explored it a little bit more where they could have started started it by making it a little bit vague and then developed it more and more towards the end because even though they do show that there is a bridge there doesn't seem to be logic to how it's formed or how it gets separated eventually but i do think that it helps you know develop that relationship between those two characters that's interesting. In this 20th anniversary version, one of the things that they did, uh, they put a cut, a cut scene or two back into it, polished it up, and reinserted it into the movie. And along the lines of what you're saying, when Elliot stays home sick, there are some scenes that are cut out of the movie where the two of them kind of form a bond together. And you see, you see a little bit more of that. So what do you make of these bad guys, these government figures, Maduro? I was reading about this somewhere, and I noticed how... They never really show the faces of people that we are supposed to be scared of. Um, but they just kind of strategically use like music or, you know, other other ways to kind of tell you that these are not good guys. These are not guys that are on your side. Um, and for a long part in the movie, you just don't see any faces besides the moms. That's an adult face. So even the guy with the keys, you just hear the keys jingling in his pocket, but you never really see his face until the very end when everyone's in the quarantine room with the alien and Elliot. I think they do a great job of telling you who is on your side and who isn't without actually giving them a lot of dialogue. That's really interesting because the teacher is also, you never see the teacher's face. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize that. They kind of use the, there's a cartoon that I grew up with called Muppet Babies, and it's, uh, they never show anything above the knee because the characters are all small, so you never see the nanny's face. You always just see her socks, so. Yeah, the Charlie Brown approach, too. Yeah, that's another good, yeah, another good point. Although you can't understand the Charlie Brown adults, they just go wom, 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 (laughs) wom, 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 wom. Well, I I don't understand these guys. I mean... What, what's with the no-knock warrant of reaching through the blinds in spacesuits? Like that, was, that was a weird scene. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, you're right. No warrants were issued, and uh, people were just like, we're, bringing, we're coming in with spacemen. Also, we're not... they were wearing spacesuits. They weren't just wearing like a, like a suit that you would normally see somebody wear at a hospital walking into a quarantine area. It was a spacesuit. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's zombie walking with their arms outstretched. It was just a <laughs> weird scene. Like, why couldn't you have a normal guy saying, hey, you need to surrender now? I don't know. What was the threat? Normally, we'd have to have a warrant to go in. But uh, in this case, we can just send in Buzz Aldrin and uh, Neil Armstrong. <laughs> yeah. Reaching through the blinds for no good reason. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if, if I were an astronaut, I mean, be like, man, why'd they make astronauts out to be the bad guy? This is a negative stereotype now for astronauts. <laughs> I'm sure there was a NASA protest. Chad, why don't you give us a cast rundown here? Yeah, sure. So Dee Wallace, she played Mary, who is the mom in this movie. She was kind of known as a scream queen. She came from The Hills Have Eyes, The Howling, Cujo, Critters, movies like that. There was Henry Thomas, uh, who we mentioned earlier was nominated. He played Elliot. Uh, he was the little boy. He really hasn't done a whole lot of other movies that uh, are notable other than he was Johnny in Gangs of New York or uh, Tom in Gerald's Game, if you've seen that. But he did start a, a band called The Blue Healers. Uh, there was Peter Coyote, who played the aforementioned Keys. Great name. <laughs> yeah, you just hear his Keys jingle, so that's his name. Why not? He's done some TV, starred in the 4400 and the inside. He was the vice president and commander-in-chief. My wife watched the show. I don't know how many others did, but uh, Brothers and Sisters. He was Sally Field's boyfriend. That's actually where I wound up knowing him from. Uh, Robert McNaughton. He was the brother, Michael who did all of nothing. He did uh, like one other film and then two films in 2015. So he, he pretty much stayed out of the limelight. Uh, then we have Drew Barrymore, uh, six-year-old Drew Barrymore, who played Gertie. You might recognize her from some of her best hits of Wayne's World 2, Batman Forever, Freddy Got Fingered, or Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Oh, come on. <laughs> Chad, no, you, do you hate Drew Barrymore? I, I don't. You know what? I used to have a problem with her because I, <laughs> I, I had to see things like Charlie's Angels, Never Been Kissed. I don't enjoy Fifty First Dates. Uh, <gasps> we, I got into Santa Clarita Diet. And sadly, that's canceled, but she's great in it. And she was fun in Scream. It's just I was forced to see some of her bad movies. I'm going to... We're going to talk about the 51st Dates thing later, because I'll go to bat for that one. But continue. Yeah. Last, I just want to mention Pat Welsh. Uh, she was the voice of E.T. I just find her particularly interesting because they, Spielberg and Lucas kind of dragged her off the street, just heard a smoky, raspy voice and brought her in. It's like, hey, you should voice this movie and we'll pay you 300 some bucks. But she also, uh, she voiced Boosh, who is the bounty hunter that Leia pretends to be in Return of the Jedi. Really? Huh. Yep, so they were reused in sci-fi. Well, that's great. It's interesting. Uh, as you go through the rest of the cast, it just starts becoming really generic. I, I think it's just funny. Like, nobody gets a name in this movie. It's just like, science teacher, ultrasound man, van man, schoolboy. <laughs> I did think it it was really cool, though. I didn't see if they, they gave them individual names, but the the doctors, they were actual doctors that came in from USC Medical yeah interestingly enough spielberg mentioned that actors uh sometimes don't nail the vibe of doctors so they brought real doctors in so that they sounded like they knew what they were doing i don't know how you sound official basically doing alien autopsies and reviving aliens but madura were you convinced that these guys were there for medical reasons 
thought they were actors. I, I mean, like, they weren't doing much. <laughs> Shame wow. on USC. Yeah, there, there you go, doctors. Uh, Scathing review. USC, step it up. Yeah. How many aliens did you save today? <laughs> <laughs> These were all the doctors that Lori Laughlin had paid. This is especially funny because if these were really real doctors, then they spent all that time op fake operating on a fake alien instead of operating on real people or treating real people. It's just crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, something for them to do during their off hours in residency. <laughs> but then you can claim it like it's like, relax, E.T. is alive and uh, he was one of my patients. <laughs> <laughs> he died for a little bit. Erroneous. Yeah. 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 Through <laughs> absolutely back. no contribution on their behalf. He just comes back to life. <laughs> Erroneous on all counts. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so it's, what do we think about our young actors here? Henry Thomas is only 11 years old. Robert uh, McNaughton is 16 and little Drew Barrymore is only six years old. And she is cute as a button in this. Madura, what do you think about the young actors? I am not a huge fan of Drew Barrymore. Not oh. because I dislike anything she's in. It's just I haven't seen too many of her movies. But I do think that she's great in this one. Now, I've seen this movie like twice. And both times I thought she's extremely young, but extremely good at uh, what she's doing. So points to her for that. But I also watched the audition tape for Henry Thomas. Um, and apparently he made Steven Spielberg cry in his audition because I think they made him do a scene where they said, we're going to take this friend away from you. And he, he really cried. And when they asked him later, what, how did you cry so well on command? Um, he said that I, in that I remembered the time when my dog died and it made me really sad. Um, and that's what I used in my audition. Wow. Which is crazy for a kid that young to be able to manipulate, you know, his own emotions like that. I think that's incredible. That's amazing. Cause on the Blu-ray features that I had, I saw his audition. I didn't know that's where he was drawing that emotion from. And if you see this, uh, tryout tape that he does, it's really raw. Like he's he's really emotional. Like he, he brings the tears, like kind of cries on commands and he's worked up. And so they just have some guy reading deadpan voices just like, I'm sorry, son, we have to take uh, we have to take him over, you know, and like he's like, you know, screaming. He's like, he's mine. You can't have him. <laughs> I think a lot of times when you're dealing with child actors, like I, I've I've noticed a lot of them when you are told you have to be sad, they understand that as being sad. But this actor understand understands um, or understood anger and sorrow as a complex, like compound emotion, which I think made it really believable. That's really well put. I agree completely. It's interesting that Chad was kind of running through Henry Thomas's other works. He actually later goes on to be in a movie that's kind of a horror science fiction movie called Fire in the Sky, which is an alien abduction movie. And it's kind of interesting. He has a less friendly encounter much later in life in 1993's Fire in the Sky. Interesting movie. Robert Patrick's in that. Huh. You know, I heard that Steven Spielberg was going to make a sequel for E.T. where 
another alien species abducts the siblings, the three kids in this movie, and then they uh, reach out to E.T. for help, whose species is in a war with the other species. But he decided to do this movie because he, th- he, he thought that it would take away, you know, the originality of this movie and the value of this first movie. So they never... he was correct. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't, because a lot of times they do that and they ruin it. I wish more directors would uh, catch themselves and stop themselves. I think it's written into contracts on movie studios at this point, where if you make this much money, you're financially obligated to make two more movies. And yeah. with this movie turning the kind of profit that it did on uh, a smaller margin like that, I, I'm shocked that, you know, like you said, if this was made today you'd be getting a whole litany of E.T. follow-up movies. How to Train Your Dragon 5. Oh, those have all been good. I've only seen the first one, so I'm just saying, like, you would get a bunch of E.T. movies uh, like that. Frozen 2, Toy Story 4. Wait, Toy Story is good. All all of these are good. (laughs) I love Toy Story. I haven't Uh, seen the new one. Toy Story is good. Not everything gets a good sequel, though. Like, uh, I'm going to point to Cars on this one. One one was enjoyable two we did not need and i'm assuming the third one i didn't follow at this point of it's just like man you guys are just cashing checks at this point (laughs) so the role of mary the children's mother was first offered to shelly long who chad what do we know shelly long from from cheers she plays diane and she had already signed up to do a a film that i actually really like called uh, night shift and uh She was forced to decline, and the role goes to Dee Wallace. And as Chad mentioned, Dee Wallace, known more for her horror movies. So, uh, Madura, I, being a dog lover, I strongly urge you to avoid the movie Cujo. It's not your movie. <laughs> well, I've been told not to watch, I think it's called Old Man Yeller or something. Old Yeller. Yep. Oh, Old Yeller. gosh, no, you shouldn't see that movie. Yeah, that, uh, that, that does not end well for you. I'll add Cujo to the list. Uh, yeah, it's just a really scary dog. And that, 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 that's an understatement. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Hellhound. Maybe yeah. I should watch it with my dog. <laughs> I don't know. It's <laughs> him to watch it. Our other host, uh, Brian, uh, he, his dog like won't tolerate other animals on film. I'm just curious to see how badly it would go because it just barks constantly and he can't watch a movie with another animal. On it. it doesn't even have to be another dog. It could be like a horse or something, apparently. And uh, I, I bet, like, if he saw Cujo, he would just, like, flip. So, Freak out. <laughs> absolutely. Peter Coyote's character's name, which, by the way, Peter Coyote's a pretty cool name, too. Uh, right? Yeah. yeah. What did you think about this character, Madura? We have this character who seems kind of sinister for the first half of the movie, but then as we go into the second half of the movie, he turns out to actually be somebody who's kind of compassionate towards uh, Elliot, uh, who cares for E.T., and, you know, there's a bit of a role reversal here with him. Why does he stand out amongst all the other scientists and government workers to you? The main reason is because he gets more screen time, but it, it, it's really funny. I, I remember the first time I watched the movie, I like to do this thing where I like to predict what's going to happen in a movie and then be like, I called it. So for like the first half of the movie, when I watched it the first time, I was like, I bet that that's their dad and that he's not actually in Mexico with Sally, but he's actually a secret government worker who's on a secret mission to find an alien. And... I was so disappointed that that wasn't his dad, but I was happy that he did turn out to not be a villain. He was just 
curious about the alien in a similar way that Elliot was, which kind of, you know, makes you think of, like, is that somebody Elliot would be when he grows up? Or is there something more to the Keys guy story that we don't know about, which makes him mysterious? And we always like mysterious characters. I think that's what makes him stand out. That's a good point. And one of the things that he said that I don't really, like you said, the mystery is still there. He said uh, he came to me or a an alien came to him when he was 10 and he's been looking forward to this ever since then, trying to recapture that uh, connection. Chad, what do you think happened to him? Was it E.T. himself? Was it a different alien species or... What were, your, what were you thinking? Again, they just gave you a little taste there. And like Madura said, he was shrouded in mystery. I'm kind of like, man, I want to know this guy more. Yeah, that's not something you just get, get to casually drop in a conversation and walk away from. There needs to be some explanation there. Um, you know, we see E.T. later on in the Star Wars universe. So was it a, was it a Chewbacca or, you know, we see a kid dressed as Yoda uh, one of these species was it friendly was it mean i don't know i'm guessing it was friendly since he's looking forward to another alien but yeah i, I find it interesting how he even got his part because he auditioned to be indiana jones and wound up tripping over wiring steven spielberg just found it kind of endearing it's like hey i've got a part for you how about government agent trying to dissect a, an alien but you have a good heart. He mentioned that he actually liked playing this character because he said uh, E.T. was thought of as a kid's movie as they were making it, which is interesting. Uh, but he mentioned that adults and kids movies are either like you might have one that's just like the nurturing type. But usually the adults are kind of the bad guys. You can't do that. Or they're buffoons and they kind of stumble all over themselves. He said he liked that there was complexity in his character and that he, you know, basically was a good guy, even though he seemed scary at the time. So uh, perhaps the old man Marley from Home Alone, the guy who salts the sidewalks, scary at first, <laughs> not so much later. That's a good comparison. Yeah. Madura, would you like this movie better if it were titled A Boy's Life? No. That is what the working title for this film was. Yeah, that they chose well. <laughs> so as I mentioned before, $10 million was not a lot of money, and this was thought to be a kid's movie. Uh, kids' movies were actually not doing well at the box office at the time, which is kind of hard for us to fathom today because all the highest grossing movies are either superhero sequels or kids' movies. And um, they had no faith in this movie, and they thought that this was just going to be a drop in the bucket. But Steven Spielberg knew that this was going to be special to him as he was developing it. And to this day, he still says that it's the most personal movie that he did. Uh, he even had the idea for an alien uh, encounter movie like this as a kid. And he thought it would be interesting uh, as he started to make movies to get into something more like this. And for him, E.T. feeling like he is in a different place and alone and away from people for who he belongs with and trying to get home, to him felt like his parents when they were divorced and this movie features divorced parents or separated parents, which is something that Spielberg movies frequently have. And uh, that all of that Spielberg nature of himself pours into this movie. It's kind of interesting. That stuff's not necessarily critical to the plot, but uh, do you like that layer of the family dynamic, Madura? Um, I think so. I think... Um... They they don't explore the father character enough, but they do 
mention him enough to show that there's something missing in the kid's life, which is why I think there is room for something else to come in, which is where E.T. comes in. So I do I do think that the family dynamic as it is shown helps for the E.T. character to fit into that dynamic. But I, I don't personally think that it is important otherwise. I guess it gives them an excuse for an alien to be walking around their house and have the mother not know it because like she's always like busy trying to keep the whole house going and to keep her kids, you know, uh, you know, to try to put everything together. Yeah, I, I, you know, I love that scene where Drew Barrymore is trying to introduce her to yeah. her. Like she's like, mom, I want you to meet somebody. Like she hits him with a refrigerator door and she doesn't even know it. She was terrible at her job, though. (laughs) The kid's sleeping outside, and she just doesn't notice. At one point, she leaves six-year-old Drew Barrymore at home alone, just, like, takes off. What are you doing? This is child services. Uh, it's a, it's the 80s, Chad. I mean, if you ever watch Stranger Things now, you're like, where are the parents in all of this? This is what parenting was in the 80s. Just pretty much... You know, latchkey kids, here you go. Six years old, though, she's just like, I'm going to go find this other kid that I misplaced. There are actually three of you, but I've forgotten it for this scene. So, <laughs> How often were you left at home alone at age, say, 11 when you were sick? A lot more than age six. Okay. When you were <laughs> sick, though? and. Well, if I was sick, I was uh, I was heavily monitored to ensure I was not faking it. So, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, my parents were usually around like, hey, if you're sick, you're no video games, no anything. You you just lay there. Yeah. I mean, he's he's got a fever and uh, she's just like, I'll be back later. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. She she really had a uh, hands off child raising. Madura, how long would you be able to keep an alien in your house before your parents notice it when you were growing up? Uh, <laughs> when I was growing up? I don't think very long. My mom was like always, she always knew what I was up to. Like somehow she even knew what I was texting my friends and I had like a lock on my phone. So I don't think very long. She always knew what was up. Well, if it were the 80s, you'd be able to make it a good three weeks or so. And uh, she really wouldn't have a good idea until maybe if the astronauts start coming in through the windows. (laughs) It was like the little girl just spontaneously gained weight when they're looking at the ghost who looks absolutely nothing <laughs> like the frame of Drew Barrymore. And the mom's like, yeah, this is fine. That's She She ate too many cookies. She's bloated. Whatever. <laughs> I, I did like the glowing finger from underneath the sheet. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would have. It would have been a much darker movie, but it would have been fine if they had introduced like a drinking problem or something to explain the gross negligence here. Nope. She just has a Luke Skywalker haircut. (laughs) Uh, Steven Spielberg was actually working on this film and Poltergeist at the same time. Now, he was the producer of Poltergeist. Uh, Tobe Hooper was the guy who actually directed that one. Uh, But Spielberg was directing E.T. at the same time. Now, first of all, He's two for two in 1982. That's amazing that he was involved with both of these movies in the same year. But he said they were actually compliments to each other. In his mind, E.T. represented suburban dreams, whereas Poltergeist represented suburban nightmares. So uh, quite a contrast. Wouldn't you agree, Chad? Yeah, it, uh, 
it was actually kind of spawned out of E.T. One of his ideas was uh, a friendly alien, but the family was being terrorized by mean aliens. There was just one that happened to make friends with the boy, and the terrorized suburban family became poltergeist. That's, like you said, he wanted to make that suburban nightmare, so he kind of split E.T. in half and said, okay, friendly alien, spooky ghost. And it worked. Yes, it did. Now, I know you haven't uh, seen as many of the Spielberg movies, but what do you think about Spielberg as a director, Medora? Um, I think I think he does a good job. I mean, I've seen um, I've seen the first Indiana Jones movie. I've seen um, AI, artificial intelligence, Minority Report, Jurassic Park, maybe Jurassic Park. Yeah, I've seen some of those, and I've seen The Terminal. That's a goofy movie, but I really like it. I actually also really want to see Schindler's List and uh, Saving Private Ryan. Um, I'm on like a mission to see all of Tom Hanks movies because I love him. He's my favorite actor. So yeah, I think I think he does. He's done a great job uh, based on all of the movies that I've seen, and they're all very different. They're not. It it doesn't seem like he only does one kind of genre. You know, he he doesn't just stick to one genre. Um, he does them all and he does them really well. One thing that he does do throughout his work is called the L shot. And we mentioned this a little bit in the Indiana Jones and the last crusade episode, but he uh, has a signature camera trick where he likes to zoom out and pan to the side at the same time. And, uh, it's very interesting. What it does is it starts to pull you around. So you get a fuller scene of what's happening here. And it's more he perfects it and does it more later in his career. And so this is earlier in his career, but at the same time, it is visible in his work here as well. I think it's interesting that being that he was working with kids, a lot of the behind the scenes footage that I saw was he was so kind of connected with the people who he was making the movie with. They did seem like they had like a family dynamic. Steven, at this point in his life, didn't have kids, but uh, he mentioned that particularly being around Drew and Henry uh, made him more comfortable with the idea of having kids himself. And you do see a lot of pictures of him carrying her on her shoulders. He, when the Halloween scene, they had like a party and like he came dressed up as an old grandma. There was a closeness within the cast and Steven Spielberg remained in Drew Barrymore's life uh, as she grew up and was kind of a family member or a mentoring figure for her as she grew up. So it's interesting that they had that close connection with that. And when they came together and this 20 year special, uh, it was interesting to see how many warm feelings for each other the cast had. So usually movies you make them and you move on, but uh, these people really seem to have a place in their heart for it. I don't know if that shows through in the movie per se, but uh, maybe it does. I don't know. What, what do you, what do you think, Madara? I, I couldn't say. I mean, it, it's hard to tell, right? Because when you watch a movie, you're not really thinking of, the act i mean if they're doing a good job you're not thinking of them um as their personal selves you're thinking of the character that they're playing so i i don't i can't say uh one thing they Spielberg did to help them though was he shot the movie in chronological order and this mm. helped mainly the children uh, d wallace uh was actually talking about this uh when et departs at the end the characters grew uh, an emotional connection to E.T. Drew Barrymore said she knew that there was a guy puppeteering him, but in a way it was like E.T. was real to her. You know, a lot of those emotions 
for instance, like the electrical shocks, when they're trying to jumpstart his heart. She didn't know what that was, and she was actually scared and was crying uh, when she saw that because, you know, they're trying to help him, but at the same time, it looks like he's hurt, and, you know, like, what are you doing to him? That was a, she said that was the thing that was kind of going through her head at the time, and also when E.T. is going away, it's a overwhelming emotional moment, and uh, like I said, children and adults both said because they had been around this character that they had been with uh, throughout the movie, watching him go was emotional for them. Well, Spielberg also told Drew Barrymore that E.T. was real. So <laughs> that was part of why she was crying. But uh, yeah, he treated it like a a real alien. All the puppeteers were kept off stage. They were, uh, all the actors were to treat him like he was a real person. I was talking about some things that were cut and uh, added. Uh, Chad, did you uh, did you know Harrison Ford was uh, filmed with a cameo in this movie and he was supposed to be the school's headmaster, but that scene got cut? I, I did. I'm very sad about that. We'll, uh, we'll back to that later. Okay. Another thing that Spielberg nailed was the ending. Madura, do you like the ending of this movie? I, I do. I like... <laughs> I specifically like how um, Harvey, the dog, almost ends up on the spaceship and then uh, runs back down the ramp. I I wonder if that was just something the dog decided to do in the moment and they were like, let's include it in the movie. Um, But I think it was a cute touch. But otherwise, I I like that, you know, they all decide that it's best for E.T. to go home and it's a happy ending and as you would expect in a kid's movie, they always end happily. I don't know. I was satisfied. So would you prefer this ending? Robert McNaughton in an interview said that uh, he, the movie was originally planned and written to end involving another game of dungeon dra- Dungeons and Dragons, much like the beginning. But this time, Elliot's allowed to play with the kids because the fact that he was so close with E.T., he now has a bond with Michael and his uh, friends. And they pan up and then you see that uh, there's still a communication between Elliot and E.T. Do you prefer the more emotional ending, or would you would have would you have preferred this uh, back to real life, but I still have that connection kind of throwback? Oh, I was with you until the connection. Yeah. I, I, I like the sweetness of the scene until, like, I, I need that finality. Like, he had to let his friend go. Yeah. The, the Bollywood movie does something like that, where... After the alien is gone, in the movie, they kind of show that the alien gives this kid some superpowers. So this kid is, like, much older. He's, like, 20s, maybe. Um, But he gives him some superpowers that cures him of some conditions, that medical conditions that he has. And then when when he does send the alien away, everyone's like, oh, wait, well, you're going to go back to your old cell. But then a little, little while later, when he's, you know, back in his old routine, they, they show that his powers come back and he looks up at the sky and there's like a twinkling light and he just kind of like waves at him and I thought that was so cheesy and when you said that you know they'll show the connection that's what that's what I kind of imagine it would look like and I almost don't like that as much as the straightforward like he had to let his friend go and that's that you know I think they nailed it myself and uh I'm with you I'm with you on that 100% so let's talk about the special effects a little bit what did you think about the look and feel of et chad honestly this was a weak point for me um i i liked the design of the alien um i thought that was really cool i thought the guy that 
designed it basing it off of a painting the women of the delta was very cool the issues i had actually were with the more iconic scenes uh going back and watching it in high definition and i realized yeah we just booed brian (laughs) about this uh on one of our earlier podcasts but you could see the black outlines around every single person and it really kind of detracted from these iconic scenes and it was frustrating for me everything else in the movie i was mostly happy with um but those bicycle scenes where everyone's flying you could just see the outlines behind them and it was frustrating so again i want the first time i watched this movie after picking it up i watched a remastered 2002 version where they cleaned up many things they did other things like they took all the guns out of the movie and they made them look like walkie talkies or flashlights uh, they added footage, but they also overwrote E.T. every time with a computerized version of E.T., which gave him more expressions as eyes moved. And, uh, you know, there was, uh, you could say some more smoothness to it, but at the same time, the way the light hits a computer rendered uh, element, it looks very different. So my question is, Madura, how do you feel about a movie that was released a long time ago going back and basically retouching and not just retouching i should say uh rewriting how they did things never actually seen a movie that has done that i mean i've always only seen original versions of movies but i I do think that there might be some value in doing that because i mean when you mentioned um that they edited out guns there might have been like a real reason why they did that and if it if it's really a movie that you know, kids are watching, maybe that's why they edit it out. But I don't know, I think unless they are really addressing issues that Chad mentioned where you could see outlines, I don't know how that would add anything else. I've, I've not, I can't say. Interesting. I my, my take is when you do something and you create it in a way that you've created a piece of art at that point in time, and you've let it go, people have taken it back, but it's like if you were to paint a painting and then like Van Gogh is like, uh, I'm going to re-swirl the swirls around the uh, stars here a little bit more. It's not the last thing you'll ever do. Spielberg as an artist would go on to do many other things. And in a way, this movie is a piece that came from 1982. I kind of wanted to live there. Another example of one of these things is uh, in the remastered version, you see E.T. running away from the uh, men uh, in the woods and, and he's like going uh, like running his way into town in the original it's just a red light on a set of rails moving behind the plants and you don't really see him so that's that's his heart that's uh you know shining red and i like the fact that in the movie you don't get a really good look at et for about 20 minutes and you know it's not until you see him out in the, the field uh but this kind of took away that mystery by showing you the outline and the silhouette of E.T. running through the woods. Uh, Chad, where do you stand on this issue of remastering a movie? I think I speak for every single Star Wars fan in existence when I say don't. <laughs> uh, just don't. Uh, it, it's fine to exist in the time it did, and usually the CGI that's used to replace it is distracting. It's far more charming when there are puppets. I enjoyed... Yoda as a puppet. I did not enjoy CGI Yoda. Um, you know, we didn't need Jedi Rock in Return of the Jedi. That that entire scene can just go. 
with ET, I have not seen the remastered, and I will do my best to avoid that because some of the charm and magic is, you know, puppets, and you you can somewhat tell. But the effort that went into making these puppets realistic is what helps me uh, enjoy the movie more. Yeah, ten percent of the budget went into the puppets. It was a big deal, and actually, sometimes there's a a short person in the puppet suit, and there was even a twelve year old boy who didn't have legs who was walking on his hands. In the scene uh, where they were in the kitchen yeah. to do the movements of E.T. there. And there were robotics used as well as puppetry. And so it's really cool to see all the work that people put into that. And like I said, if you take that out, in a way, it steals part of the film history of what where this movie was in time. Maybe I'm being too much of a student of it, but uh, I don't know. I just That's one of those things for me as well. They brought in a professional mime to mimic the, the hand movements uh, to be the puppeteer for the hand movements just to make it more realistic, which I think is a cool touch. Now, it always begs the question, how do you do contract negotiations with a professional mime? Like, how does that work? How do they respond to you? Are they just trapped in the box or whatever? But uh, <laughs> I, I did think that was cool that they went to that extreme to make E.T. realistic. And then one uh, thing before we move on from this, I thought it was interesting. Spielberg actually approaches Rick Barker from uh, to design E.T., but Barker was busy with John Landis working on An American Werewolf in London, which was, by the way, uh, really good effects work. Uh, and then Spielberg then goes after Chris Wallace, who uh, turned him down because he was working with David Cronenberg on Scanners. And then he goes after Rob Botten, who was working with John Carpenter on The Thing. All of these people do really great work. Uh, but it's interesting. He eventually works with Carlo Rambellani. Spielberg had worked with him on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And uh, Rambaldi quickly took the job and moved moved with it. And thank goodness he did because I love the way E.T. looks. Maduric, what do you think about the way E.T. looks? <laughs> so I, I read somewhere that he was supposed to look like a pug. Like they, they took inspiration from a pug's face. I don't think that he looks like a pug at all. I don't think that he looks cute, but I think that the way that he is portrayed makes him cute and friendly. So I do think that if I were to initially see him as a kid, I would probably freak out and faint. But eventually, if I interacted with him, I would think he was cute. Okay. So maybe not appearance-wise, but his personality is cute. I mentioned earlier that my uh, sister-in-law, uh, she was a little girl when she first saw this, and uh, a hot Christmas item once upon a time was the E.T. doll. And uh, this would have been, after the fact, this would have been a uh, rummage sale kind of pickup, but uh, the E.T. doll, which is a bit of a collector's item, her grandfather picked it up for her and uh, gave her uh, the E.T. doll, and it scared her so much because she was scared of E.T., even though he thought it would be right up her alley. She loves science fiction. And um, she was so scared of E.T. that she came back shortly thereafter and uh, handed it to her father. And she said, uh, you're going to need to give this to the garbage man. Oh, yeah. The, the movie, we all have context of, hey, this is supposed to be a kid's movie. But uh, it was interesting watching it through my daughter's eyes. The very opening scene has a creepy score. And before I even remembered Close Encounters with Spielberg, Williams, I was like, oh, man, this this is really reminiscent of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And there's there's a lot of ominous music, even when E.T. is introduced. And so without the context that we have for a small child, it's like, 
am I watching a horror movie? There, Elliot's biking in the woods. The score was kind of psycho reminiscent. And uh, yeah, she she was scared and she told me it was scary. And so she warmed up to him. That's fair. It, it, it does seem scary at first, but I think there's something magical about that where uh, you're you are afraid of them at first, but then they take the shroud of fear away and he's actually quite lovable. That's that's a magical experience to go through, not only as a kid, but as an adult, because you're right. I think the way it's shot, you don't get a good look at E.T. and you're not sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing. Maduro, what did you think about the soundtrack and the music of E.T.? It kind of reminds me of like movies before the 90s. I'm not a musician, so I can't get into the technical parts of it really, but it gives me a very like old-timey vibe where like it it almost seems like they had a full orchestra just for the movie and they, you know, they like made the movie fit the music as opposed to, you know, like the music fit the movie. It, it had like a really big presence. And a lot of times I noticed sound was what introduced scenes and characters to you, as opposed to, you know, dialogue. That's a really good point. And the music is a big part of the storytelling and just making you feel the feelings of this movie so much more. Chad, what do you think about uh, John Williams' work here? It's great as always. You can tell it's a Williams score, like I said Based off of uh, his other work, he's able to do just these epic sweeping scores like the main theme, but even in the introductions, he's able to make you feel a little unsettled. His work with Jaws and things like that, um, he's very good, even with establishing alien themes, see Star Wars. And the score is a huge part of this. Madura nailed it. Spielberg actually did tailor one of the movie's iconic scenes to William's score, the main theme he uh he shot that scene where the main themes first introduced the bike ride uh with the score in mind and tailored it to that scene i mean it worked perfectly in the movie i wouldn't have known that they had two seem like they're so symbiotic and organic together it's interesting that you both uh, point that out for me it just it works stride to stride i don't know like you said it makes you feel the fear but it also warms your heart at the same time that's a really good score that can take you through that emotional range so it's time for look for this Chad, you got any look for this moments? There were quite a few Star Wars references. Uh, what was really interesting for me, uh, because Spielberg and, and Lucas are friends, this was before a lot of the Star Wars characters had formal names. So he's playing with toys and he has Hammerhead, Walrus Man, um, Snaggletooth, and these all just hadn't had marketing names yet. So you wind up with like, Hammerhead is uh, Momon Nedan, or Walrus Man is Ponda Baba, Snaggletooth is Zatan. Um, so that was kind of cool to see before Lucas had figured out, oh, I need to go back and write stories for these. This was the original character's name, just random alien. He looks like a hammerhead shark. That's what we're going to call him. I wouldn't call it the Reese's Pieces in particular. The filmmakers actually requested that M&Ms be used to lure E.T., but the Mars company denied the request, saying that people would scare E.T. like they did my poor sister-in-law. Reese's Pieces, however, said that they would like to be in the movie, and not only did they do that, uh, Reese's Pieces were only marginally popular until this movie, at which point sales skyrocketed. And it's not the invention of product placement. It certainly was used in other movie series like the Bond movies, but 
uh, you certainly see a massive influx in product placement in movies after this. Reese's Pieces prospered heavily from the E.T. Uh, exposure. Yeah, I had a freak out, though, because uh, Elliot starts putting the Reese's Pieces on the carpet in the house. And just as an adult with small children, I'm like, no, not the carpet. You have wood right beside it. <laughs> uh, any any other ones, Chad? I'm going to go back to my Star Wars stuff. When they're out trick-or-treating, uh, E.T. sees a young child dressed as Yoda. And it was a really great Yoda costume, by the way. Uh, in addition to Michael's impression of Yoda. And E.T. sees Yoda and goes, home, home, and gets really excited. And apparently when Spielberg showed this scene to Lucas, Lucas just started laughing and really enjoyed it. He actually, uh, I, I mentioned it earlier, but Lucas got back with Spielberg and put E.T. in his race uh, in The Phantom Menace. He's the aliens, the E.T. aliens are in the Galactic Senate. Is that true? Because I I, uh, I wasn't sure if this was an urban legend and had been photoshopped in. That that that's really there. They are really there. I huh. don't recommend the Phantom Menace, but if you want to check out that portion, go for it. Interesting. And uh, I want to call out the. This is a really odd uh, thing that was out there on the internet, but it's true. So this is kind of a family feature, uh, but it's kind of odd that uh, not one but two of the actresses in this uh, go on to be in Playboy magazine. Erica Alaniak is the pretty girl who gets kissed in class. She actually goes on to be in Baywatch, uh, which I had. Yeah. yeah, I do remember her from Baywatch. Uh, Shawnee McLean uh, was her character. And uh, Drew Barrymore uh, was uh, also in Playboy as well. So family flick. Things change as they grow up. Can anyone explain to me the Halloween costume of the brother? Well, he's got a knife through his head. Yeah. Was he a dead hobo? I mean, what was that costume? Ouch. He was just dressed down and kind of dirty, and he had the knife through his head. <laughs> I did love the E.T. going, ouch, ouch. ouch. <laughs> I was like, what is your costume? Bowler hat guy with a knife through his head. I thought it was self-explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to go as a terrorist, but his mom stopped him, so. Yeah, that would have been a little dark. I also thought it was interesting that the mom, uh, another example of her being hands-off, she sees her go as a ghost and she's really excited about it. But later on when she picks uh, Michael and Gertie up, uh, Gertie's then dressed as a cowboy and she makes no mentioning of it. Like, I thought you were a ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this could have easily been hand-waved off with a drinking problem. Just... It's time to get into some awards. Maduro, you ready to hand out some awards with us? Yes. Who is your MVP of E.T.? I think it has to be Henry Thomas, the guy who plays Elliot. Like I said before, I think he did a great job. He's probably the best actor in the movie. Not that there were many characters, but I, I think he did a really good job. Definitely good childhood acting. Uh, Chad, you're often hard on young actors. Does uh, Elliot Thomas uh, get a thumbs up from you? See, I'm a weird one on this. I I didn't really enjoy the kids other than Drew Barrymore. I found Drew Barrymore adorable, but the other kids, I'm like, why are you being nominated for stuff? Shaking my head. You didn't annoy me, and that's the best thing I can say for them. Mm, he's relentlessly tough on young actors. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't uh, like the kid in Babadook. MVP, Chad. I'm going with all the people involved with bring E.T. to life. Uh, Tamara Detrill, Pat Bilon, um, there was an unnamed 12-year-old as well, the professional mom, 
all the puppeteers, uh, without a realistic ET, you wind up with Mac and Me, the the film that Paul Rudd keeps playing on Conan O'Brien, uh, which is actually terrible. I've watched the full thing. You you just wind up with a cheesy, goofy movie, and all all these people help bring ET to life. Are you sure you don't want to see the digitally remastered one where he's CGI? I don't. Never. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> uh, my MVP is going to go to Steven Spielberg. He had the vision to bring this all together. You know, bringing John Williams in goes a long way. Getting the actors right. I mean, making sure the setting was there. It somehow was anchored into suburbia and in a way just kind of felt like, you know, it was intended that it could happen anywhere. And I don't know, it just had, had a real sense of magic and it has a fairy tale like quality in a very modern setting. And that's a hard thing to do uh, without feeling contrived or forced. And this movie is just this gets it. It gets the feels right and a lot of great camera work. I love the strong use of silhouettes throughout the movie that uh, Spielberg uses. And uh, so just it's going to be Spielberg. This is one of my favorite movies that he's done. It's hard to pick a favorite of his because he's got an amazing catalog, but uh, he's my MVP. Best supporting actor, Madura. Um, I think Drew Barrymore. She definitely had a presence in this movie and she made me smile many times in this movie, which um, doesn't usually happen with young actors for me. So I think she should get this one. Incredibly cute. She's she's going to be my best supporting actor as well. Uh, Chad? Yep, same with Drew Barrymore. Uh, my wife said she couldn't remember much from E.T., but she remembered Drew Barrymore screaming. And that was one of the memorable scenes <laughs> to me as well, just when she first sees E.T. and has that long screaming fit. And it's just so much fun. It's great because E.T. is scared of her screaming and he screams yes. back. <laughs> yes, his his scream is fantastic. Ah. <laughs> I also like it how they then push her into the closet to hide her. Yeah. And then she's still screaming and then E.T. like comes in with his, his arms are flailing above his head. Ah. <laughs> Hidden gem, Madura. So here's where I would like to mention the everybody who played E.T., um, I agree with Chad that without them, it would have just been a very mechanical character, and that would not have been very nice. I love it. Way to give the crew some uh, an ensemble award. Uh, Chad, Hidden Jim. Deborah Winger is actually in this movie. Uh, she's uncredited. Uh, she's a zombie nurse holding a dog at the Halloween party. Mm. She later goes on to star in Officer and a Gentleman in Terms of Endearment. And she was also one of the original voices of E.T. before uh, Pat Welsh took over. Mm, Chad loves his zombies. Not surprised on that one. <laughs> uh, my hidden gem, uh, this, is, this is a deep, deep cut. His name is not on the casting list. But uh, the fat kid who gets stood on so Elliot can step up and kiss the taller, <laughs> prettier girl. Uh, oh. I, I really liked that scene. And uh, he dives for that frog and then Elliot steps on his back. That is just a Good work for from somebody who's just a total extra. Uh, good job, fat kid. What is happening during that scene? Like <laughs> chloroforming live frogs. I mean, they were dead in my day. And then at the end, when he's on that kid, like it was like a, a plague of ancient Egypt. There were far <laughs> more frogs than there were kids at that yeah, point. Yeah. Mary, Mary kept saying, "Kids don't." 
dissect animals at like like what is he she kept guessing age 10 but he was 11 the actor's 11 but i mean uh, she's not way off but uh it does look like a junior high setting no i i definitely did we went to uh camp virgil tate and we would have been 11 or 12 and that was one of the activities was dissecting frogs because that's fun well if you didn't chloroform them you didn't do it right so yeah what the heck they were <laughs> they were predeceased at that point. Okay, I guess they wanted them fresh. I don't know. Uh, so if uh, you had to recast somebody, uh, who would it be, Madura? Um, I would say the older brother, Robert McNaughton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't really like his acting too much. I think he was a little too dramatic for me at some points, and it just kind of took away from the scene for me. My biggest issue with Robert McNaughton is uh, he grows up and in the DVD features uh, has the worst dreadlocks ever. They're about one and a oh, half no. inches long and uh, they look like uh, worms or maggots coming out of his head. Like they're bleached too. The rest of his head oh. hair is dark and he's got like these little bleached dreadlocks that are itsy bitsy dreadlocks. And I'm sitting there going like, and he, and he never got rid of that space in his teeth. So like that somewhat oh. endearing, like, you know, uh, you know, young person, like your teeth haven't been fixed right. Yeah, he never fixed them. He looks like a strange adult later. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Google it. It's out there. Uh, Chad, uh, recast. Dee Wallace for me. She just, she doesn't do much in this movie. She's just kind of space cadetty. I don't know if that was the direction she was told to take this character, but uh, if it was then apologies to Dee Wallace, but I just didn't enjoy her performance. I'm putting in someone, I don't know, Sigourney Weaver, uh, someone that can add a, a little more personality and a little less staring off into the distance. Okay. Okay. But she's uh, she's very protective of, uh, of her kids, as, as we saw in Alien. Uh, I don't think that she would not notice the alien was in her house that whole time. She's, she's perceptive when it comes to aliens. <laughs> she can deal with them, yes. Yes. For my recast, I'm also going to join you with going with D. Wallace. My first thing would be I'd like to substitute D. Wallace's haircut with a different haircut. But oh, but then uh, I'd also like to substitute D. Wallace. I'm going to go with Margot Kidder. Uh, Kidder's just coming off of Superman 2 at this point. And she does another movie called Some Kind of Hero with Richard Pryor in 1982. She's second build in that. So, But I think being the mom in E.T. would trump that. So I'm going to go with uh, Margot Kidder. We know her from as being Lois Lane from Superman or being an Amityville horror uh, all right. Is that a fair one? Yeah. <laughs> I'm all for recasting D. Wallace here. Okay. Uh, best shot, which there's a lot of good ones. Madura? I really like when E.T. and Elliot are on the bike and he, for the first time, he uses his powers to uh, make the bike fly. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. How that's done. I like the music that goes with it. I like their expressions. I like everything about it. Spielberg made that the uh, logo for his Amblem Entertainment uh, trademark. So uh, he liked it too. <laughs> Chad, is it the ride across the moon? It is. Uh, I know I criticized the effects uh, earlier, but uh, the initial scene, I didn't realize until I really got into this movie how much of this was a real shot. Uh, they scouted this location for months, scouted charts, everything else, just to find where... They would have a tree line and a low-hanging large moon. So it's wonderful that they did all that, and it really caused me to change my mind. 
I will add, I totally forgot that he crashed his bike after that iconic scene. It's like, oh, that's that's kind of a bummer. You have this majestic moment and then crash. And by the way, this this woods, I thought it was so odd. We go from this like dry, dry Southern California looking subdivision. And then with a short bike ride, it looks like we're all of a sudden in like Oregon. Yeah. Are there iguanas in Oregon? I don't know. And again, like that was a threat. Yeah. In a 10 minute bike ride, we've completely changed three climate zones. Uh, It's it's (laughs) it's confusing. But um, uh, he points to California. So I guess all of that's possible in California. Uh, my best shot would also be the bike across the moon, but for diversity's sake, being that you guys absolutely covered it well, I'm going to give a nod to Elliot uh, going outside, hearing E.T. Uh, with the pizza box and dropping it. Uh, there's a shed and lights just pouring out of the lattice, and it's a moment that you were talking about, Chad, that's kind of scary, but um, it's also really beautifully shot with the beams of light pouring through. Uh, that lattice, and it's just uh, the cornfield behind, or, or it's tall grass behind. It's just, uh, I really enjoyed that scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was great. Best scene, Madura. I really like when um, Gertie meets E.T. for the first time. I love the screaming. I love how they shove her in the closet, and she's still yelling. I love all of the chaotic pushing, shoving, yelling, all of it. I love it. I love that, too. Uh, Chad, what's your best scene? The Halloween scene, just just all of it. I mean, E.T. in clown shoes, just kind of trundling along, chasing after the Yoda, trying to heal Michael. Just, it's so fun. You mentioned his shoes. Uh, Drew Barrymore doesn't like his feet. She said so. <laughs> which was an ad lib line that Spielberg just kept in there anyway. She goes, I don't like his feet, which apparently had wires around it, so... Actually, I'm going to go with the scene. I I do really like the one that Madura mentioned, and I'm glad she mentioned that. So that's going to give me the liberty to pick this other one because I had a tie. I like the one where E.T. drinks beer. Elliot gets drunk in class. He frees the frogs. The E.T.'s watching TV, and then uh, he sees the girl kissing on TV, and Elliot stands on the fat kid and kisses the girl. So, And the frogs are going free, and it's pandemonium, and we have a teacher who's from Charlie Brown. We don't see their head. I love this scene. I just, it's incredibly fun. And John Williams uh, elevates it as well. So uh, high marks for me on all of that. And also got to give a nod to the final scene as E.T.'s departing. So change one thing, Madura. Um, I would have liked to see more of the dog. Surprise, surprise. I I, I think that the the scene where um, E.T. is uh, looking through the fridge to find something to eat um, and he just like throw. He tries the potato salad a little bit, hates it, and just throws it on the floor. And the dog enjoys it. I really like that scene. <laughs> um, but I wish they showed more of the dog. I almost wish that the dog first, you know, discovered E.T. in the backyard or something like that, and then Elliot went on to see him. That's actually would make sense. Yeah, but yeah, more of the dog. That does not surprise <laughs> me one iota. <laughs> Uh, Chad, change one thing. You mentioned it earlier, but I want the Harrison Ford scenes back. I need to see that. I think it would have been a fun cameo. Yeah, that would have been fun. I really love this movie. I might be showing my rating a little bit too soon, but I had a hard time finding anything I wanted to change. Uh, It was only accentuated by the fact that in 2002, they went back and changed many things. So I didn't want them to change anything. 
And so uh, the thing I came up with was lose the older kids' uh, headphone earmuffs. They're very distracting. <laughs> yeah, that was a very distracting piece of wardrobe. Don't make a video game out of this movie. It was one of the worst video games ever made and actually got blamed for collapsing the industry wow. until Nintendo saved it. Okay, I didn't that's know that. A ch- that's a change one thing. Yeah, there's a bunch of them buried in landfills. Okay. E.T. for Atari. Okay, E.T. big on the phone, not so much the Atari. Uh, <laughs> Madura, what is your best quote of E.T.? So it has to be E.T. phone home. Like I said, after I watched this movie, every time I had to call my parents back in India, I would just, instead of just saying I have to call home, I would just yell ET phone home till somebody told me to shut up. So I definitely like that one. But if I had to pick another one, I think Be Good comes close because I like he says it back to her at the end. Uh, Yeah, that's a heartwarming moment. Chad, what's your best quote? Drew Barrymore, just how she delivers the line, the I taught him to, how to talk. He can talk now. It's just so matter of a fact and perfect for a six-year-old. <laughs> yeah, that was a really good moment. Oh, man, those are both great picks. I, I probably would go with phone home as well, but uh, I at least have to bring it up. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy it in the beginning, and I'm shocked for a PG movie that this is in there, but uh, they're all around the uh, dinner, they're all around the tennis table, and like Elliot like blurts out, Shut up, penis breath! Now, what was that and the mom's just fine with it yeah somebody else calls somebody a douchebag at that point she goes hey 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 no douchebag talk <laughs> but penis breath we're okay with <laughs> yeah there was one that he gets called i tried looking this up i tried figuring out what this insult was but he gets called a sinna supremus like, what is what? that what is that I so don't if, anyone, if anyone knows what that insult is or if it just died in the 80s Please write in, because I am confused. Yeah, and a good comeback of zero charisma. Like I didn't get that. I didn't get that banter at all. I'm with you. <laughs> I did get the Uranus joke though. He was he kept trying to say, "Do you yeah. get it?" I'm like, "Yeah, I, I do get it." <laughs> and the other one is, uh, I, I think it's just, uh, I like the other thing along the lines of uh, Drew Barrymore saying, "Mama, he can talk," and she's standing in front of a TV as if the cartoon characters can talk, but ET's behind the TV. And uh, her mother goes, of course he can talk. I'll be back in 10 minutes. (laughs) Mommy's got a day drink. (laughs) So it's time to give a rating on a five-star scale, half-star scale integrals, or sorry, intervals. Madura, what would you rate E.T.? No, because I watched it so late and the special effects are so, you know, back in the day, I would would have said 3.5. But because it has, you know, held up after so long and it's still such a heartwarming movie, I I think I'll change that to four. Wow, that's that's actually aggressively low on. Wow, that's four. Oh, yeah, I'm harsh. Yeah, that is uh, Chad. Five star scale, E.T. Going four and a half. It weren't for some of the slowdown with the government and just the weird scenes that took place uh, when E.T. starts getting sick. Um, that that was odd, and the mom's role does not help this movie. And some of the effects, like if it weren't for the fact that they were the iconic moments, it wouldn't bother me as much. But uh, it's it's a wonderful, great movie. But I I think I have to go four and a half. 
Wow, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and sell out here. I'm uh, I guess uh, I'm handing out another five here, but to me, it's just a classic. I, I love this movie. Uh, the only uh, the only criticism of it is if you uh, went to Universal Studios and rode the ride, which means you stood in line for about four hours. Uh, it's not a very good ride. Yeah. There's an ET ride. Yeah, yes. it's not a roller coaster. It's an experience where you sit on a seat that's like a bicycle, and uh, and you're floated around a room with projection images and stuff and you know john williams music is playing and because it has a low capacity you stand in line for a very long time so yeah did you i did i did uh i universal studios was an underwhelming day at least back when i went because (laughs) back to the future was a similar thing of like we stood in line for a really long time and then you just get into a glorified little version of uh the little go-kart pony that kind of stands in front of the grocery store that just goes back and forth. Imagine a four-person car that just goes back and forth and has a screen in the front of it. And, uh, you know, you're jostled around. And my dad was just like, oh, my gosh, we stood in line and that's all it was. Like, <laughs> he was just dumbfounded. Like, normally you hold it together to keep your kid happy. But he couldn't. He couldn't. He was just <laughs> amazed that, like, he was like, that many people are waiting for that? <laughs> So oh, man. clearly, if you make a, a low level amusement park attraction, you slap a five star movie. And I, I say this is a five star movie, a five star movie to it, like Back to the Future or E.T., then uh, people will stand in line for hours. Madura, is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, yeah. So um, this year I'm going to be VP of Marketing and Communications at the Cornell Real Estate Women Organization. Um, so I'd love it if you all followed us on Instagram and Facebook. We have a lot of uh, cool events planned. We have some field trips planned. So stay in touch. Sounds inspiring. Chad, you want to help me pick a movie for next time? I would love to. We have a very special request to go back to the year 1993 and unleash the thrills. Are you ready? I'm ready. We're going to go to some action movies here. Uh, Option number one, Demolition Man from 1993. A police officer is bought out of a suspended or brought out of a suspended animation in prison to pursue an old ultraviolet nemesis who is loose in a nonviolent future society. Option two, Hard Target from 1993. A woman hires a drifter as her guide through New Orleans in search of her father who has gone missing. They discover a deadly game of cat and mouse behind his disappearance and the process. Option number three, Last Action Hero, 1993. All of these movies are 93, by the way. With the help of a magic ticket, a young movie fan is transported into the fictional world of his favorite action movie character. I've seen two of the three. I haven't seen Hard Target, so that's really tempting. But I think I've got to go with Demolition Man. All right, it's time for some Demolition. Yeah, can't wait. Mandura, um, thank you so much for joining uh, the show from all the way in Mumbai. Yes, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. And good luck in Cornell as well. Thank you. Thank you. And to all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, thank you for listening. And we want you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Please subscribe, rate, and review on the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Those iTunes ratings and reviews really help promote the show and help others find it. It's the number one thing you can do to help the show. Also, give us a like on Facebook. Interact with us. We want to hear from you. Email us at the show at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com if you want to be on the show or if you want to talk to us in greater depth. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chad? It was a bad call, Ripley. 
a bad call.